0: Hey everybody, this is Richard Dyke, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Terrence Malagone. Our guest this week, if you are an NFL fan, and certainly an NFL draft fan, he really doesn't need any introduction. Daniel Jeremiah has been with the NFL Network since 2012. His first draft was 2013. Prior to that, he was a scout for multiple NFL teams, including uh, the Eagles, the Browns, and the Ravens. And the reason I wanted to have him on, and I think he's going to be an interesting guest, is and Daniel and I have obviously talked before, but his his role sort of changes a little bit in the post Mike Mayock era, given the prominence of the draft, for NFL Network programming, and and given I think Daniel's sort of new prominence now at the NFL Network, and he had prominence before. And Daniel Jeremiah joins us on the sports media podcast. It's ca- you're in California, Daniel. So good morning to you.
1: Hey, thanks, Richard. I appreciate you having me on.
0: So I want to start here before we get to um, uh, Mayock's departure and how that might impact you. I think people are fascinated by the NFL draft and many things about it. But here's something that, for my audience in particular, I think they'd be really curious about. Let's just sort of pick a random day three weeks before the NFL draft. Can you, as detailed as you can, take me through your, what your day might be, starting as specific like as what time you get up, and then what time you go to sleep, and everything that happens in between?
1: Sure, sure. You know, uh, if we're going about three weeks out, uh, the pro days will be over. Um, if it's a day where I'm i up at the, the network for path to draft, it would be it would be different. But I'll, I'll run you through a day if I was at home. Okay. Um, I'll get up at I'll get up at six thirty. Um, I will. Uh, we our kids go to different schools, so we have four kids, and my son goes to school across town, about twenty minutes away. So. Uh, I'll take him to school. Uh, we'll leave about seven, ten, um, get him to school. I'll get home back home about eight. Um, at that point in time, I'll usually get some uh, get some coffee, and then I go into my office and uh, and I'll start watching tape uh, video. I guess we it's old habit for Scouts. We still say tape, even though everybody knows it's not tape. Uh, but we'll start watching video of players um, at that point in time, and that will be interrupted by some phone calls. Uh, maybe some text messages with with friends in the NFL, in personnel departments, where we could be talking about players and who you're watching, and you know why do you like this guy? I don't like him that way. Um, you know these are friends that I've had uh, going back you know 12 plus years. So um, that that's kind of sprinkled throughout the day. I try hopefully go to lunch with my wife, um, and then uh, and then get a little bit more done, and then next thing you know we're picking up the kids from school and that kind of. Um, that'll take care of the, you know, family stuff between going to track meets and, you know, soccer practice to pick up the kids. Uh, And and we try and, you know, get dinner together. And then once the kids go down, um, at about eight, you know, from that point on, I'll go back into my office and and try and get another two or three hours of, of work done. And then you get up and you do it all over again.
0: How different will that be, uh, Let's let's say for a pro day, uh, where you would, in theoretically, and I guess if it's a big pro day, you might be on site yeah. at that pro day.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go. This is something that'll be a little bit new for me this year. Um, you know, during during the time where I scouted, I obviously went to a zillion of these pro days, but I haven't been to many you know, since I went over to the media because that was kind of Mike's deal. Uh, Mike would go out to the pro days. I was in the studio five days a week for path to the draft, and you know, Mike would file reports or do talkbacks. And uh, he would be on the show from remote location at those pro days. Uh, so this year, I'm going to get out to about six of them. Uh, so I'll go to you know Oklahoma to see Kyler Murray, Ohio State, Alabama. Uh, Duke and Missouri have quarterbacks, so I'll be there. NC State. Um, so I'll get a chance to get out to more this year. So that'll be something that's, uh, that's new for me. But uh, new but old, I guess. New in this, in this role, but uh, kind of a flashback to my scouting days.
0: And when you're at a pro day... Uh, Daniel, is it, um, how do I sort of phrase this? Are, what you're looking for, would the sort of the process be the same as if you were working for the Eagles or the Ravens in terms of your, you know, your your actual scouting for the NFL network for your mock draft?
1: Yeah, I mean, I try and function, and I think this is something that Mike did a, a great job of um, and, and was really, really excellent in this area. To me, you want to look at what we do as, Work for the NFL Network is the kind of unofficial 33rd team. So you're building a draft board as if you're one of the 32 teams. Uh, you have the same questions that you want to get answered when you go to a pro day. Now, the difference is obviously the teams have more access to, to be inside the program and inside the buildings, uh, but I still have a lot of relationships and friendships from my scouting days with, with these colleges. So using those relationships, trying to get the best information I can possibly get to go along with, you know, trying to answer some of the physical questions or concerns you might have about a player, getting a chance to go to the pro day, watch them move around, watch them run, uh, watch them interact with their teammates, it's the same gathering process as you would have when you were uh, when you were with the team. Okay,
0: so Mike Mayock has been, um, I think it's you know it's fair to say the face of the NFL Network. Maybe Rich Eisen. Uh, is the face of, you know, let those two guys fight it out, at least if it's 2016. But they they, they were the uh, co-faces of the NFL network. And Mike was certainly the face of the NFL draft. And as I've written many times and said, Mike Mayock, to me, is the best. He's the best television draft analyst I've ever seen. I have great admiration for how he approached the job, his work ethic. And for me, at least as a viewer, he, he revolutionized the experience. And, and I appreciated that. That's a long sort of, uh, filibuster, Daniel, to ask you a couple of questions on Mike's departure. First off, how sure. how has Mike's departure um, changed your day-to-day or week-to-week, if at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit different. You know, the, the good news is two things. Number one is I got a chance to have a front-row seat um, for six years to watch how Mike handled that role and what went into the preparation for that role. and He was always very open uh, with me in terms of his process and how he went about things, uh, so that that was helpful uh, number one and then uh, and number two I, I, I did the same amount you know I would say similar amount of work i 'm still watching the same amount of players that hasn't changed my tape study, um, all, all that I would do to get ready for the draft on that standpoint to know the players that didn't change for me. What changed for me is um, now you get to these events the, the combine or, you know, the Senior Bowl, um, the, the All-Star Games, I should say, the Combine, and then the draft, is there's other elements that that, uh, that Mike would, would be involved with in terms of putting together more uh, highlight tapes, XO tapes, breakdown tapes. And so, you know, we have a wonderful staff in place led by Ben Fennell um, on the East Coast at Films, who does a great job of coordinating that. So I didn't have to worry so much about putting those types of tapes together, but Now it was, you know, Charlie, Yook, it it kind of set everything up for me and showed me, you know, how this process works on that end. And so I've been just in constant communication with Ben on, hey, look, I just saw, you know, I'm watching this player. I just saw this play. Can we make sure we put something together so we can, you know, Kyler Murray, for example, we, you know, one of the big concerns with him is with his size, how would he protect himself? So as it was going along, I'd say, okay, look, he's, he's getting out of balance. He's sliding. He's turning his shoulder. He's protecting himself. So I would just take my phone, video the screen as I'm watching these individual plays, I'd be texting back and forth with Ben Fennel and he would build a tape for us that we could show to uh to to let the viewers know, you know, how he would deal in this type of a situation. So those types of things that Mike had been doing I hadn't had to do previously, and that was new for me.
0: How has Mike's departure changed uh how you think the NFL network perceives you and specifically um you know, have you been told that you're, you're now the lead, whatever, whatever it means, if it means anything, you're the lead draft analyst for the network.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was
1: just, you know, it was something that had been talked about um, maybe previously. Uh, I mean, look, I, I, you always, it's like being the backup quarterback. You're always preparing yourself in case the starter gets hurt or if the the starter moves to another team, you want to be ready to, to step in. And so even from when I started, it was like, Mike is the best. Mike is phenomenal. Um, you know, but Mike's not going to do this forever. So you need to be preparing yourself to eventually um, be able to step into that role. So it's something I've you know, been working towards. And uh, and then when Mike left, you know, look, it was, we're all sad to see Mike go because A, he's great at what he does. And, and B, he's a wonderful teammate. But there's also an opportunity that was, you know, that existed. So uh, that was, that was, community. I don't think it was ever said, Hey, you know, you're the, you're the guy or you're the lead, this or that. It was just, Hey, you've got an opportunity now, uh, make the most of it. So that's the way I approached it. Do you, uh, do you feel any pressure, uh,
0: in that, um, you know, I think people, again, NFL fans know who you are. They, they certainly are familiar with your analysis, but that's going to probably Daniel get exponentially bigger. Uh, you know, just given how much even the
1: NFL network's going to
0: push your mock drafts.
1: No, I don't think so. You know I, look. It's, <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. If you do a mock draft, you're going to get so much blowback and criticism on social media. If you haven't calloused yourself at this point in time, uh, I'd be surprised. So uh, I don't feel any more pressure. I have too much fun, Richard, to to let the pressure kind of bother you. It's, it's I love it. I, I love watching players. I love talking about players. I love talking about team building. It's something that, uh, you know, somebody was asking me about the combine and, you know, how you're going to approach it. I said, these are the same conversations we're going to have on air are the same conversations I had for eight years in the stands sitting with my scouting buddies. I said, they just kind of throw a mic on you now. So it's still fun. I mean, I, I have too much fun to, to worry about the, you know opinions or pressure that, that might be out there. It's just, we're talking football. It's not rocket science. Nobody's living or dying here. Um, I, it's a blast for me.
0: Let's talk about what the sort of the schedule is, Daniel, in terms of mock drafts. It, we're, as we tape this, we're taping this on a Thursday, March 7th. Um, how many new versions of a mock draft will you do prior to the draft itself?
1: So I've done, I just did my second one um, the other day. So that just came out this, this week. So in the years past, it's varied. Sometimes I think I've done as many as maybe eight. Um, this year, it's not quite as many. So it'll be, uh, this is my second one. I believe I have uh, one more. And then I will do one, you know, Mike did his, uh, his, his final mock draft the the day before the draft. And it was, uh, they put that into a little bit of a show. So I believe that's the plan. That would be my, uh, my fourth and final one. So it's, uh, you know, people can't get enough of them. You know, the, uh, I know the traffic has nothing to do in my opinion with whose names on it. If there's a mock draft that exists, uh, people eat it up and they love it. Um, so I know, uh, I know we, we as a network and as a media group, you know, I'll have my four, but you'll have you know Bucky Brooks will be putting them out. Lance Erline, uh puts them out. Chase Goodbread puts them out. Or gosh, who else do we have? I mean, it's uh, uh, we have a ton of them that that get put out there, so people can get their their appetite met there for all these mock drafts.
0: Do you um do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy the process, the the actual process of compiling a list, putting it out there, and knowing that people are gonna you know treat this uh, the way some treat the Tear Mag- it apart yeah well or treat it the way some treat the magna carta or the declaration of independence <laughs>
1: uh, you know it's i i've i've always i always enjoy my favorite part is ranking players so my favorite uh exercise in the whole process is updating my top 50 list which i tell people my top 50 list is is done with my eyes my mock draft is done with my ears so that's why, you know, I don't take offense to it. People get upset or you don't like a pick in a mock draft. Look, this is based off kind of what I'm hearing and talking to people around the league, what I think might happen, not necessarily what I would do. Um, but early on, man, that was, a, that was new to me. It, going into the media and, uh, and putting my first mock draft out, and I remember going on Twitter and being like, wow, let's go on, let's go on my mentions and see if people are, are excited about this and uh, are real happy with what I was able to give their team. And I realized quickly that that is not how that works. You will, you will. The negative folks will will jump on in a hurry. Uh, so that was an eye opener. But now I have fun to the point where um, I'll text with buddies and stuff. Some of the best replies I get.
0: Hmm. All right. So here's really what I want to ask you, Daniel, because this is just fantastically interesting to me, television wise. So Mike Mayock is going to be the uh, one of the point people for picking the Oakland Raiders draft this year, and they're a significant team in the draft with multiple high-round picks. Um, are you going to feel pressure, Daniel, to be predisposed to favoring who Mike likes in the draft?
1: <laughs> it's funny. We've had this conversation, uh, and Mike might, even, might not even know. So we talked early on, uh, right when he got the job, and we, were, we, we always talk about players. One of the things um, Mike and I would be texting and, and calling each other from, uh, you know, the end of the NFL season to the week of the draft because we're both cramming all these players. We're jamming, watching all this tape, and we see somebody that we get excited about. And so we'll, uh, you know, we'll text back and forth and, hey, you need to watch this game. I didn't like it, Mike. Uh, Well, you know, what games did you watch? And I like this. So just a constant dialogue between us. And so he gets the Raiders job, and uh, we're talking on the phone. And uh, we start talking about players like we always did. And he knows I would never burn him. I would never, you know, put anything out there about who they like or don't like. Um, but he, he was. so we get to the kind of the end. He goes, now, uh, just, you know, hey, don't ever connect me with these guys. And I went, oh, come on, Mike. I'm not going to do you like that. And then I started thinking about it. And I said, you know what, maybe I should back off my communication with Mike because this could be a fun game, knowing him as well as I do, uh, to just being able to guess. What he's going to do, and he can't get mad at me because he wouldn't have told me. But it would—it would just be a very educated guess after uh, spending so much time with him over the years.
0: <laughs> where uh, what what you would tell you know this in front of me? I'll, I'll look it up as I'm talking. Where are the Raiders initially drafting? What's the—they uh, have seven or something like that? I'm trying to remember. Where
1: where are they? They've got three first round. Yeah, three first-round picks, uh, starting with four. Four. And then they go into the 20s. um, They believe 24 and 27. So they've got three, and then they've got a couple twos. So they've got a boatload of picks. Okay, so at least at number
0: four right now, if you're trying to get in that ahead of Mike Mayock, who is Mike Mayock
1: going to take at number four
0: as I talk to you on March 7th? Understanding that if you're wrong, I'm not holding (laughs) you to this.
1: Well, look, I I would think... Um, you know, I we even did a talk back right after he got hired. I was in that day. And so we did a talk back with him uh, for total access. And uh, uh, maybe it was the aftermath. Anyways, it was a show on NFL Network. And one of the first questions I asked him was, you know, what does a Raider look like? You know, teams around the league, teams I've worked for, and, and you talk to anybody, you say, okay, we know what a Raven player is or this is what a Steeler is. I said, in your vision, what is a Oakland Raider? What does it look like? And he said, and typical, you know, Mike's voice, a big, tough, physical. Bob either says going through his know, old list, and so I'm sitting there looking at, you know, at pick number four, and uh, and Nick Bosa from Ohio State. If some miraculous action took place and he fell there, I think they would run that in, and then Quinn and Williams from uh, from Alabama is another one who I think plays the way uh, that, that Mike appreciates. So those would be two that if somehow they were to get there and. We'll see what happens. If Kyler Murray goes number one, maybe it pushes one of those two guys down to him.
0: Hmm. One of the things that Mike told me when I had talked to him over the years, Daniel, was that he loved to go to as many different NFL team offices as he could prior to the draft. He obviously had really good relationships with, you know, whether it would be GMs, assistant GMs, uh, positional coaches. And he found that that was among, if not the best way to really get a sense of thinking about how the draft would go. At the same time, of course, these guys would um, ask Mike what he knew because Mike had seen things that mm-hmm. they had not seen. Well, how would you describe your relationship with the different team offices? And like Mike, do you travel to a different team complex over, you know, whatever it is from January to April every couple of weeks?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, look, we, we have, you've been in this, it's a small, it's a small community uh, with these teams and the personnel departments and, Mike had worked really hard to cultivate a lot of relationships. Um, you know, I, from my time in the league and, and even in this role, I've, I've made new friends. I've got old friends. So I've got contacts in, in most of these buildings, uh, and some, some really close contacts. Now, the only, only difference is, you know, Mike would, Mike would get on the road and go out there and, and visit with those teams. I, I'm going to be doing most of that work over the phone. Hmm. Um, that's something I've always done. I've always felt comfortable with that. Um, anything that I've been able to need, I've been able to, uh, to get. And I can have that phone conversation with them at 12, and I can be at my daughter's track meet at, at 3 o'clock. So it, it allows me to kind of keep my balance that I need.
0: I, I used to ask uh, this question to Mike a lot, it was, and it's always interesting to sort of get his perspective as well as your bosses and the, the people at ESPN the same thing. But do you, um, do you see ESPN on draft day as a competitor? And then specifically, do you view Mel Kuiper and Todd McShay uh, during that broadcast as a competitor?
1: You know, it's interesting. Look, you always want to, you always, you're competitive and you want to do the best you can, but I don't really look at them that way. And part of it is because I've known them forever. I mean, one of the first things um, I remember in college, and, and I know you've heard the story a million times about my relationship with Chris Mortensen, but I would go to the draft when I was in college and answer Mort's phones. Um, and I was just, you know, I was all in on, uh, on the draft and that's what I wanted to do and what I want to be involved in. And Mel treated me like gold. Mel put me in his in his draft guide. uh, My my senior year coming out, uh, I remember seeing him. And uh, he goes, "You see the guide? Did you see the draft guide?" And I go, "I haven't seen it yet, Mel." And he he pulls one out of his bag and shows me. I was like I was like his maybe his second to last quarterback uh, (laughs) out of Appalachian State. But he got me in his but he got me in his guide. Uh, So and he's uh, he he can still remember everything about about my college career as as uh, unimpressive as it was. Um, so Mel's always been good to me, and then Todd is somebody that I knew when I was scouting, got to know him well, and and uh, and we're good buddies. And we were just texting with each other the other day. So um, I, I'm I'm all about as much interest as we can drive into the draft. Um, that's great for everybody. So I know I get asked all the time. Even you know you see these different websites popping up, and um, there's a you know there's a dedicated website out there now, like the, the Draft Network. Um, you know, Matt Miller does his thing and people, what do you think about all these guys that are kind of these, these uh, independent start independent? Some of them we got picked up a uh, draft analyst. I'm like, I hope we get a million more, uh, whatever drives more interest in, in social media and, and gets people talking, buzzing about the draft. Uh, that's great for everybody. That's why you can go to Philadelphia and have a couple hundred thousand people, you know, walking around outside and, 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 being, and uh, being involved in the live draft event that it's become. So, uh, the more the merrier for me.
0: Did, uh, did Kuiper put you as a free agent, an FA, uh, or a late round pick? Oh, I was, was definitely
1: it? in the free agent pile. Okay. <laughs> I was not a draftable. I was not in his draft list. He's nice, but he's not crazy. Gotcha. All right. So, um,
0: the, uh, you know, you referenced Chris Mortensen, and we'll sort of just go over this quickly because there are going to be some people who don't know this, but your father, uh, David Jeremiah, is um, the senior pastor at Shadow Mountain Community Church. Is that still his church? Yep. Okay, yep. he's a very well-known pastor. If you Google Daniel's father, is um, sort of very prominent in that world. He had a relationship with Chris Mortensen. I'm not sure how, but they were either friends or, or sort of became friendly based on maybe faith. And Chris Mortensen, correct, Daniel, helped your media career uh, get started right out of college. How did he do that? What is that story?
1: Sure. He uh, When I was in college, he knew um, – real quick, the backstory there. So the Super Bowl between the Packers and the Broncos in San Diego, uh, Mort was out there covering that Super Bowl. He he had listened to my father on the radio for years, and so he went to my dad's church to meet him. And then my dad invited him up to lunch after church. That's where I met Chris. And the next day, he, he kind of knew in talking to me, knew that I was interested in broadcasting. The next day, he was going to go interview, interview uh, Reggie White for a one-on-one and he asked if I wanted to go with him and I'm here. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So end up uh, going with him there, met Reggie White. And and then we, me and Morton, kind of struck up a friendship during that point in time. And then while I was in college, uh, he would have me come to the draft, answer his phones. At that point in time, I met Jay Rothman, who was producing the draft for ESPN. And then he was doing uh, college football at that time. And so he said, Hey, I'm doing the orange bowl, which is the national championship game. Again, I'm still in college. And he said, if you can get down here, you know, you can be an intern or runner. Hmm. So I paid my own way to Miami and uh, went and picked up sandwiches for everybody uh, that, that for, that, for that week. And then uh, I go through graduate college and then Jay got the Sunday night football job uh, to produce that. And he reached out to me and asked if I would wanted to be a spotter for Sunday night football. So that's what I did for two years. I worked for Sunday night football and was a spotter up at the booth. Well, who, are you, who are you spotting for? Tarico and Gruden. So that was that was Mike. That was no, that was Mike Patrick, oh, wow. uh, Joe Seisman, and Paul McGuire. Oh yeah, my my timing. Yeah. So oh I, my I god. I did that.
0: All
1: right. How about that? And then uh, and then I was also the second year I was the ENG producer. So all the scenics you would see, um, you know, the shots, the opening shots, and all that. I went around with a couple camera guys and and uh, and was just make sure that they could get into where they needed to get in to shoot that stuff coming in out of break. So I did that the second year, and then through that process. We were doing a game with the Ravens, and uh, my, I ran into my brother's college teammate uh, in the press box, who was a scout for the Baltimore Ravens, and just a chance meeting, and then uh, he said, hey, we have a, we're going to have an opening in our scouting department. Do you think you'd ever be interested in that? And I had not thought anything about scouting, and uh, I thought, well, it sounds like a pretty good, pretty good deal. So anyways, that's what led me to getting an interview, and that's what led to me getting uh, involved in the scouting world with the Baltimore Ravens. Interesting.
0: Uh, I want to ask you, if I can, a couple questions about your faith in relation to sports. It's, just a, it's an interesting topic to me. Um, f- so first off, how do you weigh sharing your faith publicly with the sports world, which at many times directs people to do the opposite on either religion or politics?
1: Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm definitely not in your face about it uh, uh, on social media at all. Um, what I have been able to do is to kind of use the, the, the platform that I have to get opportunities to go speak at schools, um, to go speak at churches, um, different things like that. It's created some opportunities in that world for me. So that's the way I've I've approached it. I know people have different thoughts on how you how you integrate that. It's obviously a huge part of my life, a huge part of who I am. Um, but I, I've tried not to take the approach of just being you know beating you over the head and, and being. Um, ultra aggressive with it. I just, hey, you know where I stand. If people ask me, I tell them, and, uh, and it's opened up some, some cool doors for me to be able to speak and do some different things um, away from the sport.
0: As, the, um, as the, the son of a pastor, is it a challenge when people come at you on social media not to respond?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's helpful because one of the things growing up, I always knew if I got, you know, if I did something dumb, uh, while I was growing up, if I was in high school if if I would have gotten in trouble, it not only would have got me you know in trouble at my school or kicked out of my school because of who my dad was i would have it would have been on the news you know um, so that was always an extra motivator for me to not do something stupid and uh, there's still always that that thought that uh, look i you 'd like to think you would never do something because you don 't want to bring shame on yourself and, and your and your family your immediate family, but then you add the extra layer of Man, this would really embarrass my dad if I was a jerk on here. So uh, I, I just feel like it's an extra safety net.
0: And would you just so sort of, uh, so we formally have it or listeners have it, you, would you classify yourself as a Baptist or um, or if not, how would you, uh, What what would you say your religion is?
1: Yeah, no. I grew up in it. It was a Baptist church, but then they they dropped that affiliation, and I don't, you know, I don't get all hung up into that in terms of, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, people ask me what, what what's your faith. I would never say I was a Baptist. I say I'm a Christian. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Your father, um, in addition, to obviously, what he does now, he was the chaplain for the um, San Diego Clippers, right? When they played in San Diego as an NBA franchise. And um, I also, yep. I th- also yep. yeah, and you also, from what I read, led chapel services for NFL teams when they uh, were in town to play the Chargers. So, in your youth, did you um, did you have experiences as a young person just intermingling with either the Clippers or NFL teams, uh, given your father's relationship to pro sports?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, my my dad was a chaplain for the San Diego Clippers. My brother was the ball boy. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, for the Clippers, my brother—yeah, my brother was the ball boy. The other ball boy was—we the- grew up with the Giles family. I don't know if you remember them, but uh, Brian Giles, who yeah. played for the Indians, yeah. and played for the Pirates. Good hitter. So yeah. Brian and my brother were the—yeah, yeah. Brian and my brother were the two ball boys. Um, and then after the games, we would wait. Um, you know, my dad became really close friends with Swin Nader. Yep, the center um, yep. He was playing for those Clipper teams. And uh, Swin had been Bill Walton's. You know, back up at UCLA, and was still a first-round pick. But him and Bill Walton were buddies. Uh, but after the games, I can remember what, some of my earliest memories. After the games, uh, we'd be waiting there. My dad would be talking to whoever, and and me and all of the Walton kids would uh, would be shooting hoops out there while Bill had his feet in uh, in a bucket of ice, <laughs> trying to ice his feet. And uh, we'd be out there shooting hoops as, as a little kid. So uh, those those are fun memories. And then Swin ended up going to the Lakers, so we would go up there to see him a couple times. Uh, doing that. And then football, you know, doing the football chapels. I mean, I can remember we were huge Cowboy fans growing up. Uh, You know, we followed the chart. We had two teams. It was the Chargers and the Cowboys. And so the Cowboys would always play the Chargers in preseason. Mm. So my dad would always do their chapel. And I can remember being at the uh, team breakfast. They let you come to the team breakfast. And me and my brother had both brought our, uh, our Tony Dorsett football cards and Tony Dorsett was two tables away, and we just kept going. You go do it. No, 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 no. You go do it. And we just sat there. We neither one of us mustered up the courage to go get Tony Dorsett's autograph. But we always told people he just ate breakfast, right? Two tables away.
0: Uh, yeah, as a uh, yeah, I remember. It seems like the Cowboys were on every uh, Monday Night Football game, and Dorsett was always uh, was always starring. Then when you said you shot baskets with the Walton sons, that would be Luke, Adam, Nate, Chris.
1: Those Waltons. I don't. I- yeah, I don't even remember which ones they were. On the ages, uh, because and I ended up playing uh, playing against them in uh, you know, high school summer league tournaments and stuff. Right. But they just kept coming, and some of them you had you had I had some nephews that played as well. Uh, but yeah, they were. It seemed like there was a Walton in high school basketball in San Diego for like twelve straight years.
0: Did you, you know now? Obviously, Bill is of course a prominent ESPN broadcaster and maybe one of the most unique broadcasters we have ever seen in, um, you know, in multiple generations. Did you have any experiences or one-on-ones with Bill uh, when you were a kid? Anything memorable?
1: I, well, I can remember playing in a, uh, playing in like an AAU tournament and, uh, and I, you know, he knew who I was a little bit just because of, my, because of my dad or through Swin and, uh, and I played this AAU tournament and I probably was 11 or 12, somewhere around there. And after the game was over, he was there. You know, I, was, I assume his son was playing in the tournament. And then uh, he came up to me and said, "He gave me his he gave me his phone number and said, <laughs> 'I'm uh, you need to go down and play.' There's a place called uh, Muni Gym in uh, in Balboa Park down in San Diego, which was you know one of the better open gym runs in the city. And he said, do you need to come down and start playing basketball at Muni Gym? And uh, here's my number. You call me. I live not far away from there. I can meet you down there.'" I remember just thinking like that was that was the most bizarre uh interaction this is bill walton I got bill walton's phone number i'm a little 'm a little kid uh, but he was uh, it, it was it was definitely memorable <laughs>
0: uh, I love the any kind of interaction with Bill Walton when he was playing in San Diego. It's just always like kind of fascinating to me all right a couple more here um, <laughs> when you um how do you you know one of the topics uh that comes up every year. And obviously it's really, really in the news right now, just given, uh, Charlie Casserly's comments, and, uh, pro football talk, Mike Florio commenting, and this sort of happens every, uh, time in the silly season. But do you have any thoughts, Daniel, on the quoting of anonymous scouts? Um, you talked to obviously a lot of scouts. You were a scout yourself. You obviously talked to GMs, et cetera, but it, it's, you know, as, as someone who's sort of reading this as a, um, you know, just sort of as a reader, not connected, um, in that world, it's always hard to discern like what is real and what may be being said to play with draft positions, to play with people's perception for reasons or for ulterior motives. And I just wonder, again, as someone who's in that world, how do you view the, the anonymous scout quotes that we end up always seeing from it seems like February to April?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, one of the things, just to be totally honest, I early on when I got to NFL Network, NFL Media Group, one of the things that, that I started was I did this thing called Ask Five, where I would ask five personnel executives. could be a college scouting director, a pro you know, director, director of player personnel, general manager, whoever. But I would pull five guys, and they wouldn't put their names on it, so it was definitely anonymous. Um, but I never – to me it was, who would you rather have, You know, Julio Jones or A.J. Green, um, who's going to be the big, who's going to be the, you know, the big riser, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was never, I never wanted to get in anything about guys off the field or, you know, I didn't want to go negative, I guess, the way I would say it. And I thought it was helpful information. I thought it was interesting to see kind of what the, what some people in the league, the snapshot that they would uh, give you there. And, and people always go, why don't they go on the record? Well, if you go on the record, they're going to get fired. Most of these guys aren't supposed to be talking to the media. So that's why. Um, but I always found I usually would do that during the fall because I thought you could get some useful information. Once once NFL season ends, then draft season begins. And that is, uh, that is you know, it's lying season at that point in time. So I was always skeptical of, of information that you would get on players or, you know, stock rising or falling once you got into the draft portion. So I that, at that point in time, I would usually uh, stop doing that stuff. So. Uh, look, Charlie Charlie definitely got the information. He's not making it up. You know, Charlie's a, is a professional and he, he, he gathered that information and talking to a couple different teams. My whole thing on that one specifically was um, look, if, if Josh Rosen's being shopped, which was mentioned, um, you know, Charlie had mentioned that, that Josh Rosen was being shopped. If he's being shopped, then Kyler Murray aced the only interview that he needed to ace, and that was the one with the Arizona Cardinals. Hmm. So that to me was the bigger story to come out of that. Was man, this kid's going to be the first overall pick? Let's not bury the lead.
0: One last thing on sort of uh, the sort of the whole draft narrative that comes, and this is again um, just your how you view this, uh, and others probably will view it differently. But however you determine, Daniel, like the word makeup or off the, it's such a some non, sometimes nonsensical code words, but. Off the field issues. If someone has criminality in their uh, in their past or current, if um, if you've been told that a player has whatever kind of issues at a university, how do you you may not reveal that obviously to the public if you were told that in confidence. But how does that kind of yeah. make how does that makeup impact your evaluation? And does it or can it? dramatically move people up and down. I remember talking to Mike once, um, and one of the things that he, uh, and he took this really seriously, one of the things he really never got over was he believed that um, he did not trust his instincts on Johnny Manziel in terms of sort of Manziel off the field versus on the field. And he allowed, this is his, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm right here. He allowed, he sort of, he, he, he bought into what maybe Pro Manziel people were telling him about his play, and that superseded maybe Mike's hesitancy, natural hesitancy about what he believed Manziel might not be able to handle as a quarterback. And he he felt, in his opinion, he misevaluated him totally. And I wonder, in similar situations, just how does how does all that stuff impact your evaluation, and would it have dramatic impact in terms of moving somebody up or down?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that that any evaluator in the NFL will tell you is important. And I had the good fortune of learning under Ozzie Newsom and Phil Savage is um, you always have to go back and study your own you know, mistakes. I would call it your hits and your misses. Like you, you need to constantly go back three, four years and go through your list. I, I, I keep an Excel sheet for every draft of how I have players rated and I have my comments on them, you know, to the, to the right of the column there. And so I go back through and it's pretty simple, you know. I go back through and 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 look at what they've accomplished, and I will either give them a a green, a yellow, or a red. You know, green, I feel like I I got this player right in terms of my evaluation and where I slotted him. A yellow is, you know, it's okay. It's not the best. It's not the worst. I was in the ballpark. And a red is a whiff. And so when you go back through and you just then you just sort it and you go back and read all your comments that you had at the time on those players you missed. And Richard, you'd be shocked at how many times you know, some of the off-the-field concerns have factored into why this player didn't achieve what his physical abilities would tell you he should have. Um, so I've become, and as you get a little bit older, may become a little bit more conservative in, in focusing on the floor of some of these players and not getting enamored with the ceiling. Hmm. Um, and to me, that's why, like, like there's a perfect example TJ Hawkinson in this year's draft, the Iowa tight end. Um, he's not look. He's he ran okay, uh, but he he has good production. Not not doesn't blow your doors off with his production, but he's he's strong. He's one of the best run blockers. He catches everything that comes his way. I've been told leadership, character, all that stuff is off the charts. So I have him as my I believe he's my fifth overall player right now. Now he might be the twenty second pick in the draft. Uh, but I know exactly what i'm buying with him and and i'll uh, and I'll go in that direction over somebody else who might have a, a little more upside, but I've got to take into account all the other stuff so i'll never go i'll never go public if I hear a guy you know some stuff that hasn't been reported publicly. I'm not a reporter I'm not looking to to get that information out there in the public. but yes, I can move a guy down my list you know based off some things that I hear. i mean I, I talked to a buddy with the team the other day about a specific player and said, you know, look, I liked him on tape. He's a good player. Uh, man, he did not, he didn't work out well at the combine. It didn't even, he'd, he'd really trained for some of the things you saw in the field. And he said, well, it's funny you say that because we had him in our interview room and we asked him to grade his practice habits on a letter scale and he gave himself a C. <laughs> I was like, geez, that's not, A, that's not good. And B, that's not smart. Uh, you know, you might as well lie in that case. Hmm. But just there's these little tiny little pieces of information that you kind of gather and, and it's just trying to put the puzzle together.
0: All right, final two, and these will be more um, draft-specific. Um, in a general sense, Daniel, as best as you can, how would you evaluate this class in terms of talent, maybe uh, potential starters versus last year and why?
1: Well, I think you just start with a highlight of the draft, and that is the defensive line. It's, uh, it's as good of a defensive line group in terms of not only top-tier players, but depth um, all the way throughout since I started scouting in 2003. So uh, that, to me, is the, is the cream of the crop at this year's draft class. If you want a defensive lineman, uh, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of options. Um, so that, that is a great group. Um, offensive line-wise, I think it's really good. I don't think there's a, you know, a Joe Thomas, a Jonathan Ogden, any type of a premier, premier player at the position. Uh, but there is a lot of depth, um, you know, quarterback wise. It's a, it's kind of a wild card year. I don't think it stacks up favorably to last year. Um, so you've got two really intriguing players in Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. They're both one year starters. Um, so you've got Kyler Murray. People look at the size, a little bit of a concern. You look at Dwayne Haskins, the mobility is a concern. So they aren't just clean, clean prospects. Um, but uh, those are the two best at the position, in my opinion. And then, to me, running back's underwhelming. Um, corner is underwhelming. So I, I think if you look at the class as a whole, you'd say you, you love what you see on the defensive line and the offensive line. It's a big man's draft, uh, tight end, solid. But for the, for the most of the skill positions, it's just not quite as, uh, as top-tier heavy as we've seen in recent years.
0: And then the last one... Um... And just, I think the listeners just would be interested, just in terms of you educating us. Um, how much does the the scouting combine and people getting a chance to, uh, t- you know, measure Kyler Murray? The amount of sort of measure Kyler Murray mm. measurement stuff on Twitter that day was just uh, crazy, crazy <laughs> town. Um, you know, obviously teams talking to him, people seeing him. Like, how much of that is is of real value? of determining what it seems to sort of someone like me who's an NFL watcher and just sort of reads all this stuff like he solidified himself as like a top three top one guy that week I don't know where he was before but I guess my question for you is is like is is that like what happened like can how you measure can how you interview can the whole football world like being there for a week like does that solidify a guy as the number one or was he maybe number one beforehand and, um, and this is just sort of story and news and fodder because that's what people do at the scouting combine.
1: No, I mean, I think there's a chance he could have been um, the one uh, before the combine, but there was so much variance in, uh, in what was expected from his size. You know, I, I had heard, you know, during the year there was talk, Oh, he's 183 pounds. Well, to me, more so than the height, that, that would have been tough, tough to get over. Just, there's, to me, very difficult for you to survive at that position at 183 pounds. So, 207 pounds, that's a significant difference. And that can have a major impact on where you would stack somebody like that. So, uh, that to me, uh, the measurement absolutely mattered. And, and I tell people the, the, uh, 40 and people like to laugh, you know, you're running in shorts and what does it move? at the corner position, you know, speed is, is a big deal. And when you watch the tape, you watch these kids in college, you don't necessarily see them all get tested and challenged vertically. You don't know. You think he can run, but he hadn't played an explosive receiver all year long, or he's playing an off coverage the whole time. So that's a question that really does get answered at the combine when they run. So uh, that's where that holds some real value. And, you know, you mentioned the, the interviews. What, what has a greater impact than anything else in Indianapolis is the medical. So once they, you know, once you get your medical grade, I've been in the draft rooms where you have, you love a player and the people at the school tell you he's okay physically. Uh, but if the doctor comes in and says, no, he, he did not pass our physical. That's it. There's no discussion. He's off the board. It's over. Um, we, we, we always say, look, let's let the uh, coaches coach, the scouts scout and let the doctors be the doctors. You don't know more than them. So when they tell you this guy is a major risk and he's, he's failed the physical. That's a wrap.
0: Daniel Jeremiah is the NFL Network's, uh, I'll call him the lead draft analyst. Obviously, you can catch other guys there. Bucky Brooks, Daniel does a podcast uh, with him. And it's going to be fascinating to sort of see all Daniel's work over the next couple weeks, given now that Mike Mayock is the general manager of the Oakland Raiders. You're going to see Daniel a ton on both the NFL Network and online and NFL.com and his his podcast as well. You want to give a shout out to your, podcast daniel given that you are on a podcast here
1: (laughs) yeah and on that line on that note i uh i snuck in a move the sticks podcast promo before rich got a rich eisen show promo which (laughs) if you were betting in vegas you would have lost a lot of money on that one richard
0: wait rich eisen has a podcast uh move the sticks with daniel (laughs) jeremiah and bucky
1: brooks that is the
0: official podcast listen daniel i'm happy for your success um i've been wanting to uh have you on this podcast for a while we are uh, we're going to be inundated with Daniel Jeremiah over the next uh, couple of weeks and uh, best of luck as you prep for the draft having talked to your bosses there and Charlie Uke and uh, uh Seth uh, Markman and all the ESPN equivalents it is the public doesn't know how much work goes into it how many people are behind the scenes it's a massive undertaking and uh and so I wish you the best of uh, luck with it and thanks so much for coming on today on the Sports Media Podcast
1: I appreciate it, man. One last thing, I sure. just want to give a, a thanks publicly to to Jack Andrade, who's kind of my been my researcher through this process. Nice, and it's guys like Jack that that make the whole thing go, and uh, and I he's a stud. So I just want to give him a little love.
0: Is he uh, is he L A based or somewhere else based? Is he based at the uh, NFL Network headquarters or somewhere else?
1: Yeah, he's he's in L A. So you know, I, I send him these little projects that, that that have me intrigued, and he turns them around and gets them right back to me. So you know, that's what. You know, Mike. Mike got a chance to stand up front. I get a chance to stand up front. Rich does, but uh, guys like Jack are the ones that kind of make the whole thing go.
0: Yeah, I mean, anyone who's in a front-facing uh, position, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's podcasting, whether it's television, whether it's radio, knows full well that you are honestly nothing without uh, good production help or good producers. So uh, those, I'm glad you shouted that guy out. And uh, yeah, talk to Mark Quinzel. Get that guy a raise, Daniel. You've got some juice now that Mayock's gone. <laughs> So let's make that happen. All right, I'm going to call Q. <laughs> as
1: soon as we hang up, I'm calling Q. Pre- Take care of Jack.
0: I appreciate that. Daniel, thanks so much. I'm sure I'll be talking to you along the way. All
1: right, thanks, Richard. Take care.
0: All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Daniel Jeremiah, who, again, has become um, you know, the face of uh, the NFL Network's NFL draft coverage with Mike Mayock, now with the Oakland Raiders. I bring uh, producer Terrence. And Terrence, you were telling me that you you have done work with the NFL Network. I don't know if you had ever worked with Daniel Jeremiah before, but you are – if nothing else, you're familiar with that network, correct?
2: Yeah, I worked for uh, Good Morning Football for uh, a little over a year, right as it was getting going, and it's uh, it's awesome to hear him shout out the production help because just being having been on the other side of of the camera and helping uh, out on the back end, it's good to hear because there's so much work that goes into cutting up clips and finding the right clips to align with what um, you know a talent. Or a person on air would say. So it's uh, it's awesome to hear Daniel shout out the producers he has because I just know how much work goes into it on the back end. And hearing that guy give a shout out in his position is pretty awesome. Do you know? Are
0: you surprised that um, maybe you're not surprised, but Good Morning Football has become such a hit among hardcore football fans? The the you know the the, the numbers themselves, the aggregate numbers of viewers may not be massive, but that show has done such a great job of getting good publicity for the NFL Network and just coming off both for its uh, cast and for the network is smart. And it's a big win. Again, even though the show isn't getting you know, 400, 500, a million viewers, it's just – it's like a very good product that the NFL Network has. And I wonder if you – when you worked there, if you sort of saw, saw that happening or was it a surprise to even someone who worked there?
2: No, you could see it coming. I think it's a it's a real testament, A, to the folks behind the camera and, and all the folks that I worked with or I know on the back end that certainly worked their butts off for that show. But you got to give the, the credit to the the folks on air. You know, Nate is a great, great, great voice. Peter brings his own blend of insider info. Kyle has the kind of fan voice and Kay brings everything together and runs the, the fantasy stuff. And they just have such good chemistry that people will find that. People are always willing to find things where they feel like they could be a part of the conversation, I feel like. And that show, even as it worked its kinks out right away, you could tell right away that they had a chemistry on air that was something that people were going to find because it takes something like that show, especially on a, on a more niche network like NFL Network, people need... To hear about it from their buddy, or hear about someone on Twitter that's going to say, "Hey, you should watch this show." So I think you could see that building slowly and smartly, and it almost helped that maybe the the viewership wasn't as high right away because you get to work the kinks out on a three hour live morning show. Yep, well said.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean to interrupt you there. Yeah, I mean totally well said, and you're right. You're like you sort of like can figure it out. Um, You can figure it out on the fly without, let's say, like a get up situation where there's so many eyeballs on you. That every misstep you have gets uh gets written about and chemistry you're, you're totally totally dead on that is just the one thing that you hope for as a producer but you never really know yeah and and when it does hit when it hits it's great
2: with that show you could see it coming right away i mean they're all so talented individually with with kind of the corners that they own uh, me talking about the the hosts obviously but together they just have a very very good vibe and it's 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 fun to see it be successful just having been there kind of as it was getting going and and shout out to all of them and all the hard work that they do because they're uh, they're still friends of mine. I, I really, 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 really respect what they do.
0: No, this is this is like an NFL Network PR. <laughs> good, good good job by us. All right, thank you, uh, thank you, Terrence. Thank you, Daniel Jeremiah. Um, previous guests of this podcast, the one right before this, John O'Rand and Chad Fin with a media roundtable. We talk about uh, Jason Witten and what's going to happen with Monday Night Football as well as uh, Jessica Mendoza, David Ross, Alex Rodriguez, working for teams as well as broadcasters and what that means. Uh, Ian Eagle and Sarah Kustak, the Nets broadcast team, together on this podcast prior to that. And then just go down the list from um, Mark fainaru Shannon Spake, Jeff Gluck. Uh, we have Jim Miller on, Kevin Harlan, Laura Rutledge, uh, Tom Verducci, uh, you know, check out Kate Ab, Jamel Hill, Renee Young. Just go down the list on the Sports Media uh, with Richard Deitch podcast. If you like this stuff, uh, please leave us a review. For Daniel Jeremiah, for Terrence, for everybody at Cadence 13, this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast.